And welcome back to another episode of the Small Market Insecurities Podcast. This is your host, Phil Razor, sitting here with my co-host, Sky Ball. Sky, how are we doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm living the dream one day at a time. Episode three. Episode three. This is our honor to bring on our new resident stats guy, Nate McBride. Nate, we appreciate everything you do for us, man. What do you have to say to the loyal listeners? Hey, what's going on, guys? Looking forward to doing this. Let's kick some stats ass. Let's do it. I love it. Stat guy, Nate. Stat guy, Nate. Stat guy, Nate. So we got to get T-shirts made to say Stat Guy Nate. Stat Guy Nate. That would be. <laughs> There's pretty... another one. There's another merch. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty awesome. We'll just put a golf club on. It'll be great. So we're going to start off today by discussing, um, you know, a few hot button topics in the sports world right now. We're going to lead off with this NBA Finals, man. This has been incredible so far. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know what last episode I said Suns and Six, but. Shit, I don't know, dude. Like, yeah, I mean, that's this is the second time the Bucks have come back from down 2-0. Yeah, who did they come back down 2-0 the last time? They were playing the Nets. Yeah, and they forced Game 7, right? Yeah. I, I don't remember if Game 7 was Brooklyn or if it was in Milwaukee, though. Okay. I think it was in Brooklyn, though. Okay. they had the better seating. Um, yeah, it makes sense. That team was absolutely stacked, too. Yeah, well, they they would get... Home, uh, the Suns would get home court advantage, right? Uh, I, do believe so. I do believe so. I do believe so. Yeah, they were seated higher, or higher than uh, the Bucks. Yeah, so... Last night's game was ridiculous. A uh, little back and forth. The Suns took a lead early, and then the Bucks stormed back. Um, they ended up sealing it off at the end, 109 to 103. Um, you know, there was definitely some stats in that game that I thought were pretty interesting. Sky, I know you have some of the numbers in front of you there. Um, please tell us <laughs> how legendary were Chris Middleton and Devin Booker last night? I mean, any night when you have Chris Middleton shooting better than Booker, you're probably going to win that game. I yeah. think. Uh, yeah, Middleton had 40, Booker had 42, but Booker was shooting 61 from the floor, but he was 0 for 3 of 3, which is not like him. Interesting, yeah, he didn't hit a single 3 and he still dropped 42 points. Yeah, and then on the other end, Middleton, again, putting up the 40, shooting 46%, which I mean, that's pretty much one out of every two shots he's putting up is going in. Yeah. And then his 3-point percentage was 38, so I mean, hell, if you're close to 40 on the floor for, from 3-point range, I'll take it any game. It's pretty ridiculous that last night those two guys combined to make up, and mind you, the Suns have Chris Paul, and the Bucks have Giannis Antetokounmpo. And Ted Nkumbo. Yeah, you guys can make fun of me for how I say it. Uh, they had the Greek Freak, and you know you have you know a two-time MVP winner in the Greek Freak, and yet you know the, the show was stolen by by Middleton and Booker. Now we've discussed that we think Devin Booker is going to be an absolute monster in this league, and I know we've made plenty of comparisons to Booker maybe being this generation's version of Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace. So, just the fact that these guys have been putting on such a show, you know, throughout this NBA Finals so far, it's been an absolute treat for those of us that have been watching it. Yeah, and it's nice because it's not, you know, the Cavs and the Warriors again, or, you know, you're, you're actually seeing some of these teams that haven't been to a Finals in a long time, and you actually get to watch these teams go at it, so you get to see some of these players that you're normally missing, you know, during most games on TV, and like, like with Devin Booker, I've said it before, took him a minute to get his, you know, get in the limelight, but once he did, I mean, I think that 70-point game was the, you know, the starting line for this, like, insane streak that he's had since then, but, I mean, anytime I get to watch him, I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy with that. Absolutely. I have a few other stats that Nate tossed my way here that I think one of the big things in the series Nate. so far, you know, they're both shooting pretty similarly from, you know, right underneath the basket, they're both right around, you know, hitting two-thirds of their shots, but the mid-range game, in the key mid-range to right outside the key. The Suns are 20 of 59 for 34% in this series. 
The Bucks are 33 of 65 for almost 51% in the series. So Giannis and you know everybody else who contributes on that team for the mid-range, they're crushing the Suns in that you know area of the court. So just something to look out for next time you, you know you tune into game five or game six or whatever. Um, you know, I'd be looking for that because they shoot similarly pretty much everywhere else. The Bucks shoot a little better um, from the left side, of, you know, from three. The Sun, you're, you're looking at the shot chart, right? Yep. The okay. Suns shoot better from the right side in terms of, you know, three-point percentage. And, you know, both teams are shooting right around 34 to 35%, um, you know, for the series. So, you know, just something to look out for there when you're watching the game, see if any of that flips um, with the remaining games, whether it be two or three. God, I hope there's a game seven. Well, I mean, it's the NBA Finals. Usually there is a Game 7. Yeah. So, I mean, especially the way this one's gone so far, you know, a lot of people thought the Bucks were dead and buried. I mean, I didn't think they were dead, but they were close. They were like one shot from getting knocked out, but... Yeah. See them come back two more games in a row. They're going back to Phoenix, I think, for Game 5, and then Game 6 will be in Milwaukee. If they force it, yeah, it'll be in, in Phoenix for Game 7, which would be insane. Yeah. I'm looking at the, a few other stats here. Chris Middleton's averaging 42 and a half minutes per game. Good Lord. Yep. That hurts. Uh, yeah. Giannis is averaging 32.3 points a game. Giannis is an animal. Giannis man. is averaging 14 boards and a block and a half. And what was his stat line last night? His stat line last night was pretty pretty ridiculous. I know he had 26 points. What was the rest of that, guy? He had 26 points, uh, 14 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 steals, and 2 blocks. Like he literally checked in every like category. He's all over the court. DeAndre Ayton, by the way, on the counterpart for the Suns, also averaging 14 boards a game. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton, he's a beast. Yeah. Chris Paul's averaging eight, eight and a third assists per game. Well, I mean, he's always he's always been like Mr. Assist. Sure. The Pride of Wake Forest, he, uh, he knows what the he's Pride doing. Pride of Wake Forest. Facilitates like a madman out there. Yeah. Well, he's, so, he's like a true point guard. He is the ideal point yeah, guard. Yeah, one of, like... I think there's maybe a couple, like two or three other point guards in the league that are considered true point guards. He's he's definitely the best of them. Yeah, and he's and, been doing it for 15 years. Yeah, and it's like that's I like watching Chris Paul not because he you know he's he's great at scoring because he can't he can't score. I mean he'll put you on skates. I mean you saw what he did what game two. Um, but yeah, I mean just seeing him go off like that, the dishes, the passes, you know, the behind the back, crisscrosses, all that stuff. You know, it's, it's just. He's a true point guard, and it's a lot more fun to watch than, you know, Steph pulling up from half court constantly. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. The people love a good Steph Curry show, hitting threes from all over the place. But I personally hate Steph Curry, not because I think he's a bad player or a bad person, but because I'm a Cavs fan. Sure. And I really hated them for a good four or five years. Oh, totally understandable. I mean, if I was a diehard Cavs fan like, like you are, I may have some ill feelings towards him, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's certain, you know, something said, Steph Curry's more like watching a pitcher like a Nolan Ryan. Like a Shane Bieber. Like a Shane Bieber. And, you know, as it were, as opposed to Chris Paul, it's more like watching a guy that gets a lot of ground balls like a Greg Maddox. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the flashiest or sexiest thing on earth when it comes to Chris Paul, but it's effective. It gets the job done. He's and a well-oiled assist machine. He is. And it'd be really nice to see him, you know, maybe bring home bring on some silverware and a ring to, uh, to Phoenix because God knows they would love to have it down there. Yeah. So in year 16 at this point, it's like your window's closing. I do think a point we do need to talk about, though, was that incredible Giannis block on DeAndre Ayton on the Aliyup attempt last night, dude. Yeah, he got like last second, just pinned it against the glass. I mean, it was a beautiful assist, well, potential assist by Devin Booker. Strong LeBron James in the finals vibes. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't going to bring it up because 
No, but I mean, we we have to like that. Literally, well, no, I know. I'm saying like because I feel like people think I talk too much Cleveland sometimes. No, it's okay. We haven't really talked about the Cavs. We'll cover them eventually. But yeah, yeah, definitely big LeBron vibes. Yeah, big LeBron vibes. So that was that was a pretty wild moment in last night's game. I'm looking forward to Game Five. You know, we'll see where where the series takes us. They say it doesn't start until the home team loses a game. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I don't think it will. I, I think we're gonna get a, a Game Seven. I hope we do because I, you know, anything can happen in a game seven. You throw everything out the window and the first six games are just superfluous. So yeah. it'll be really cool to see. Well, and if that holds true to the home team doesn't lose, I think we know what our champs are going to be in that case. Yeah. And these guys have been on fire over the last couple of games. Speaking of on fire. But like the Bucks have to steal one. They have to steal game five. Yeah. Or they have no shot. Oh, absolutely. You know, speaking of the sun, speaking of fireballs, we got to talk about Shane Bieber, man. We have not talked about him yet on this podcast. Man's a Cy Young Award winner. He dominates. Cleveland, the Indians pump him out. They do, and he dominates the AL Central um, whenever he takes the mound. And I know the yeah. Reds have faced him a few times, and I'm always like, oh, shit. You know, it's, it's Bieber Day for Cleveland, and the man's an absolute monster. So, Sky, please, you know, talk about Shane Bieber a little bit, man. He's incredible. Well, first of all, just the fact that – how long was he out? Like two months, I think? Well, he has 14 starts this year. Yeah. Nate, will you look that up for me? How long uh, Bieber was out? I want to say it was two. Yeah, I mean he's currently on the IL still, but uh, he was he was so far ahead in strikeouts that I think Trevor Bauer just recently caught him, even yeah. though he's been out for an extended period of time. He's out to the twenty seventh, uh, pending his investigation. But yeah, yeah, uh, Shane Bieber has some crazy numbers: one hundred and thirty strikeouts and only fourteen starts. Those are Nolan Ryan numbers. Yeah, those are like Cy Young, Corey Kluber numbers. The Bieber Express. Yeah, the Bieber Express. Uh, Thirty three point nine strikeout percentage, which is. That's a third of every battery faces. Mm-hmm. Gets to take a walk. Well, yeah. take a hike back to the dugout. <laughs> take a hike back to the dugout. Um, then I've got what is it? Two hundred? Yeah, two thirty-two batting average against versus a three thirty-seven batting average balls in play. Which, for those that don't know, batting average on balls in play does not include home runs. Yeah. So right now he's getting uh, to quote the great Bull Durham, the hitters against him that are actually putting the ball in play. They're getting those those ground balls with eyes, those dying yeah. quails, those <laughs> Texas leaguers. So Texas yeah. leaguers is my favorite. Yeah, exactly. So you know, people are getting those. Are, you know, the hitters are getting those against him right now. Um, but yeah, I know he also has what? What is this? Does he have a ridiculous like expected fielding independent pitching right now too? Um, His xFIP. I don't have anything on that right now, but I do have a 12, 12.9 strike per nine innings. Okay. So he strikes out 13 guys for every nine innings he plays. Yeah, I mean, every inning he takes him out, he's guaranteed at least one strikeout, basically. He does have a 2.87 xFIP, I believe, if the, oh, numbers, yeah. if the numbers serve correctly. Is that right? Uh, I'd say uh, 2.89. Okay, 2.89 xFIP right now. That's a ridiculously low number, um, his fielding independent pitching. So, yeah. you know, right now, yeah, Shane Bieber is dominating uh, the American League currently. Yeah, I, I, as long as he stays in Cleveland, I think he's going to continue to dominate because that bullpen, you know, they put him up front whenever they can. Yeah. And, you know, he gets the innings when he's healthy. And when he has the innings, he puts up the numbers. As he proved last year when he won the Cy Young. Yeah. I mean, in what? A 62-game season? 60. 60-game season. Mm-hmm. Won a Cy Young. Won a Cy dominated Young. so hard. Exactly. I mean, the dude, the dude's going to go down as one of the greats. Yeah, he is. He's a... up there with, like, Kershaw, you know. I mean, really Kershaw, though. He's just a different animal. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, he reminds me a lot of like a right-handed Kershaw. Yeah, where it's no. just, he just you you see him on the mound and you're shitting your pants. I would I would argue, you know, the Indians in terms of their pitching prowess over the last X amount of years. You know, they had Cliff Lee, incredible pitcher. I mean, Cliff Lee is 
absolute animal. CC Sabathia is an incredible pitcher. Obviously, Trevor Bauer was very good while he was there. I would venture to guess that if Shane Bieber's career path takes the same trajectory, he's going to be the best right-handed pitcher in Cleveland history since Bob Feller. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would 100% agree with that. Because, I mean, like, when we had Corey Kluber, Corey Kluber was great. I mean, he, he was dominant. But this is a whole different level. You know, I, I, in my opinion, Corey Kluber was the second best pitcher in Indians history. Yeah, Kluber won a Cy Young as a right-handed pitcher for sure. Yeah, but, I mean, Bieber's just doing things that Corey Kluber couldn't. Yeah. He, like, he's putting up, Bob, like, Bob Feller numbers. He is. And Bob Feller threw four no-hitters. I, well, yeah. Will Shane Bieber throw four no-hitters? That's tough. I don't know, especially with the crackdown on the on the sticky tag. Yeah, no spider tag. Yeah, spider tag, all that good stuff. No spider tag anymore. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that affect uh, pitchers, even you know whether they admit it or not. It is definitely affecting pitchers right now in terms of the way they grip the baseball, and you're seeing some walk rates go up, and you know some guys are definitely struggling with it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Bieber handles that. We don't know if he was using anything beforehand, right. but I mean, it'll be interesting the when it comes off the IL. Most MLB pitchers do. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me if Shane Bieber was using some kind of substance when he was pitching. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, just, I, I would venture to say at least 80% of the MLB pitchers do. It's the old baseball joke. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah, exactly. The Patriot way. The Patriot way. <laughs> They're going to fuck around and cheat. They're going to fuck around and cheat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, to get back on track a little bit, Shane Bieber... Really, though, like his statistics this year speak for themselves. And, you know, over the past couple of years, especially with that super dominant 2020, I'm excited to see where he goes. I hope that Cleveland shells out the money for him. Well, I'll tell you what right now. After the whole Frankie Lindor situation with Bob Dolan, I, I mean, I've voiced in previous episodes my pure hatred of Bob Dolan. Utter disdain. I, I hate him with the burning passion of a thousand suns. I really do. And I don't have faith in him that he is not going to completely whiff on Bieber. Because look what he did to Frankie Lindor. They don't want to pay their stars. And unfortunately, in a weird roundabout way, unfortunately, Shane Bieber is a star in Cleveland, which means he's not going to get paid if Bob Dylan continues to do what he's always done. Yeah. So, and that's that's the bittersweet thing about it is I, as much as I love Shane Bieber and I want him to stay in Cleveland, I know that that's probably just not in the cards. Well, the the first tough thing will be how they spot him in arbitration. Yeah, what his salary is going to be. He's not a free agent until twenty twenty five, and he's not arbitration eligible until twenty twenty two. The man has barely over two years of service time. Yeah, I mean he's still career. a relatively fresh face in Cleveland, mm-hmm. but I, I, I still, I mean, if, if twenty that's next year. Mm-hmm when the arbitration is available. I mean, mm-hmm. it's next year. I have a few stats here from his 2020 season. Which was bananas. You know, relative. He only started 12 games, but it was a short season. Well, yeah, still. 1.63 Ernie, 122 strikeouts to 21 walks. Jesus. A 284 ERA plus. League average is 100. Yeah. A 2.07 fielding independent pitching, 5.4 hits per nine. And a whip, which is walks and hits per innings pitch, right. one is really good. His was .866. Jesus. Less than a batter an inning reached via a walk or a hit. See, I, I didn't know that stat. That is, that is literally insane. To put it into perspective, in 2019, he started 33 games. Yeah. He had a 1.054 whip, 7.8 hits per nine, 
in 10.9 strikeouts per nine. Last year, he had 14.2 Ks per nine. Jesus. So, I mean, 14 strikeouts for nine innings. It's a batter and a half inning. Yeah. I mean, more. Yeah. That's almost two, that'd be, that's almost half. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just stupid what the guy can do. Absurd. Shane Bieber is, I mean, even if you're not a fan of the tribe, you're a fan of whatever, you know, small market teams out there that, you know, we thank you for listening to us. You have to respect greatness. And right now he is trending towards greatness. Oh, yeah. Know? It's I a mean, shame he was injured this year. I think he was still an all-star. Yes, he was. Um, there was no there was no all-star game last year. Certainly would have been an all-star last year. Oh, absolutely. You know, everybody who played through 2020 had a great year. You're going to have to give a little asterisk because baseball loves asterisks. Um, you know, for a lack of an all-star game. Side note, I don't put a lot of onus on how many all-star games a guy made when he gets into the Hall of Fame. Frank Thomas only made five all-star games. Right. And he's in the Hall of Fame. I don't really care, personally, how many all-star games a guy made, but it is telling of the talent of how good they are, how many they do make. Right. For me, it's not like a detrimental, like, mark on your on your grade card to get into the Hall of Fame. But it, is, it does, like you said, it does kind of show just how good you were. Mm-hmm. And I think the Hall of Fame is... is you know, the mountaintop for Shane Bieber. Yeah. It's just a little, like, you know, icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Just be like, hey, I know I'm already in the Hall of Fame, but I also made this many All-Star games. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, Shane Bieber, one of the best things he does is, you know, when he, get, when he gets a hitter down on the count, he freezes him. Mm-hmm. He freezes him. Speaking of Frozen, we have to talk about the big retirement that just happened. The Nashville Predators' legendary goalkeeper, Pekka Rene. Thank you so much for everything you've done with the game of hockey. Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig. Pekka Rene announces retirement this week. Um, I mean, what else can you say about the guy? He achieved a ton. He, I think him and that, you know, that team he was on that made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2017, that team put turned Nashville into a hockey city. Yeah, I mean, naturally so. Mm-hmm. Of course, like if you like, I mean, that's how I got into jackets hockey. You know, we we had a good playoff run, and I, you know, holy shit, this is actually a blast to watch. This is a lot of fun being a hockey guy. So I think the whole thing kind of happened in Nashville as an entire city mm-hmm. during that. And they only have an NFL team there to, to compete with them because Memphis has their basketball team. Mm-hmm. And you know, people down there, when it comes to baseball, you get Braves fans, you get Reds fans, you get Cardinals fans um, because the Nashville Sounds were the affiliate for the Cardinals for a long time. Yeah. So. You got some different fandoms down there. People may not agree on all of it, but they turned into a hockey town. They're throwing catfish on the ice. You have the entire Titans offensive line in there with, with uh, you know, Marcus Mariota, and they're, you know, in there ha- having a great time, gas and beers, and, you know, Taylor Luan spilling beer all over himself. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, they were having a great time, and they really embraced it. And I think that's really big for a city that maybe, you know, Nashville has a lot of transplants. I see a lot of similarities between them and the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Big transplant town. You go there, maybe you already have an NFL team, an MLB team, and an NBA team. Yeah. But you get there, and you're like, oh, we have a hockey team? Well, we've never had a hockey team. Right. And it's a really good way to assimilate to the city. And I think what Pekka Rene and those guys did during that Stanley Cup playoff run was really, you know, kind of baptize everybody in Nashville into a sport that people from Tennessee don't necessarily grow up with. But, you know, the presence of transplants plus, you know, the, the natives to Nashville really embraced it. Right. I mean, if you put, like, you know, in my everyday life, like, if you throw something in front of me that, like, I've never done, but it looks like a fucking blast, I'm going to do it. 
Sure. You know, so I think Nashville kind of like teased them with that, like, hey, like, look, we're good. Now we have your attention. Look how much fun it is to be a, you know, a Nashville supporter. Mm-hmm. You know, look how much fun it is to be a hockey town now. And I think the kind of same thing happened to Columbus, too, when the Jackets first came around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I have a few things. Well, first of all, Pekka Rene, just to give a little touch on his career. Eighth round pick in the entry draft by Nashville in 2004. So, you know, the man had to work his way into the league. Drafted in 04. There was no 04 05 season. He spent most of the 05 06 season with their AHL affiliate, the Milwaukee Admirals. And then he played a couple games for the Preds. You know, that injury call up goalie is such a, right. you know, such a, a niche position. 06 07, he played the entire year with Milwaukee. And then 07 08, he played one game for the Preds, then 08 09. He never relinquished his spot. Until recently, obviously, the last couple yeah. of years. But he was their main goalie for better part of a decade. Yeah. and Which is hard to do as a keeper, too. It is. It absolutely is. You know, just a, a kid from, you know, just a little town in Finland. Comes over here. Yeah. Kempele, Finland. Comes over Never here. Never heard of it. <laughs> exactly. Comes over here and, you know, has to start a whole, whole new life in America. You're coming from Finland, right? Yeah. And you come over to this, you know, big city, country music town. People are... You know, flock, like not in Kansas anymore. Exactly. You know, it's a whole different, it's a whole different animal for him. And it's really cool that, you know, he was able to, you know, come in and kind of adapt and then just captivate the hearts of that city. And I think that's what he did really well. I mean, he came, he I also came, feel like hockey goalies have that kind of weird quality over, over fans. They're like pitchers and kickers. Yeah. It's like, like, like my favorite player on the jackets is Elvis. Yeah. You know, I've always been all oh, like goalies, like the coolest, coolest dude on the ice. Everybody here loved Bobrovsky. I, yeah, I Goalie have, Bob was like our main attraction. I have family that don't really watch hockey, but they go, how's Goalie Bob doing? Yeah. Everybody everybody knew who Bob was. Yeah, he used to be a regular to Amici's. It's so weird when, he, like, when you're like right there in front of him talking to him. He's so quiet. Mm-hmm. Like He just kind of nods and like does like head motions. and like mm-hmm. you know, he, he doesn't like – he avoids talking at all costs. Yeah. Pekka came from a town of 19,000 people according to the 2020 census. <laughs> To Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. So just a few stats. He did win the Vezina Trophy, which is the is awarded to the best goalkeeper in the league, best Kendi. Um, I think of it a lot like the, like the Cy Young Award. Um, he played 683 career games and had 369 career wins. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice times three. He had a career save percentage of 917. It's absolutely nothing to scoff at. His goals against was 2.43. And he had 60 career shutouts in his Good career. Lord. In his playoff career, 45 wins and 89 games played. Not bad. Also a 917 save percentage. The man was consistent. Yeah. Very consistent. Consistency is key. And in that 2017 Stanley Cup playoff run in which, sadly, for all of us, he lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins in six games. I hate you, Pittsburgh. I hate you so bad. He had a 9.30 save percentage and a 1.96 goals against. Christ almighty. That is Con Smith trophy worth. Yeah, no, that is insane. Brick wall. He is top 20 all-time in career wins. He's 19th. 19th in shutouts and 16th in save percentage. Pekka Rene, leaving the NHL, he said that one of his big things is he wants to spend time with his family. I get that. That makes a lot of sense. He has a, a very Kevin young pig's a family man. Very young child. Spent a lot of time running around the NHL. It's a lot of travel. You're in a lot of different cities. It's tough to leave 
Um, you know, I feel like the life of any like traveling athlete must be completely exhausting. You have to leave your lady at home to raise the kid. Hopefully, you have some family help, but you know, yeah. it's it's a large burden to bear for your partner to stay home and have to raise a child while you're on the road. And sadly, you know, you're missing a large part of their life too, which is also unfortunate. So I understand where he's coming from at age 38 that he may want to, you know, he may want to go down, um, you know, go back, you know, go back home, whether that's Nashville, whether he spends his time. Nashville and Finland, maybe he has a home somewhere else. I don't know. Right. Well, that's uh, the thing with sports, too. Like, when you retire from sports, you're usually, in most cases, late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. And then, so, you know, you put in your time for, like, 20-some years. And then you retire with, I mean, Pekka made what uh, in his career? Like, $64 million? Yeah, $64 million. 64 mil. It's like, okay, well, you're, like, almost 40 now, or around 40. With $64 million, you can retire. You're good, dude. So, I mean, I think at some point it does kind of make up for the lack of, you know, being able to be around your family as much mm-hmm. because, you know, you put in the, you know, the short amount of time, make this money and then you retire and you're with them from there to the finish line. Yep. You know, so it's kind of, it, it, it's a trade-off. It is. No, it is a trade-off and, and they know what they're getting into when they sign up. Right. For it. Basically, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Yep. They know what they're getting into when they sign up for it. You know, it's a grind. It's a haul. You know, you're going on a long West Coast road trip. You're sleeping in a hotel. Yeah, taking the red eye back. <laughs> taking the red eye back. You get home. It's four o'clock in the morning. You have a day off to spend with your family. Then bam, you're back in the rink. Yeah, stat guy Nate throwing in the chaw dog. We appreciate you, Nate. Sponsor us, Grizzly. So <laughs> the welfare bear, holla at us. Yes, please do. So you want to touch on that? I, I, I do want to ask though, and kind of open it up to a little more open discussion about him instead of just reading off some figures. Based on the numbers we just discussed, is Pekka Rene a Hall of Famer? Is water wet? So you think yes? Yeah, absolutely. I say no. No. I'd say yeah. I say no, and this is why. I think he was an incredible talent. He won a Vesna. He never won a Stanley Cup, which it's a team game, but it doesn't help you in terms of that regard. Do I think he'll get in? He could. But that's what I'm saying. I think he will for sure. I think he spent enough time in his career dominating in in his you know in his craft. That there's certainly an argument to be made. I'm not denying the argument. I personally just don't see him being enshrined in the Hall of Fame. I think he was he's in the Hall of Very Good. You know, like right now, I think Sergei Bobrovsky is also in the Hall of Very Good. I think Bob Bob has yeah, two Vesnas. Bob well Bob I don't know, he's But he see he's tapering off in Florida right now. The same way like, the if, same way if that you, if you would ask me this when he was playing at Columbus, I'd be like, Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But now you see him with the Panthers and it's kinda like I don't know, dude. Like you're kind of kind of going downhill a little bit, mm-hmm. and I, it's kind of how I think about Peke. Obviously, you know, uh, UC Soros kind of took him over, and yeah, it, yeah, you could make that point. Too, and and, over, and overtook it, you know, his starting job before he retired. So it's like you know he didn't retire on top. So that would be a more solidifying argument, I think, for the Hall of Fame. There are attendees in the league right now that I think no problem will be in the Hall of Fame. Mark Andre Fleury is a shoe in, yeah, for the Hall of Fame. Carey Price doesn't have to win a cup. Carey Price is the sole reason the Montreal Canadiens just made it you yeah. know, to the Stanley Cup Finals. Those guys, I think, are shoe-in Hall of Famers. What do you think about uh, Braden Holby? I was just thinking about Braden Holby. Vancouver was not kind to him last year. No. I think what he did in Washington was spectacular. Uh, he and Ovi, amongst many others, they won a cup. Yeah. They accomplished a lot. They you know, they finally got over that hump, but it took Ovi forever to get there because Ovi's a Hall of Famer if, he retired, oh, if he's retired now. You know. He's going to have more Hall of Fame votes than he has teeth. Probably. I mean, I don't know how much it... But his teeth are real. Why is he not going to Rogaine, you know, advertise me yet? I don't know. That's a sponsorship that should have happened. He's got to go natural. Silver Fox Ovi. But 
I think there are guys in the league right now that you can debate as Hall of Famers, and there are guys that are, you know, certified Hall of Famers. I think Corey Crawford will probably get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, there are certain guys that, like, you don't even need to have a discussion. You know mm-hmm. who's on it. 100%. Crawford won, you know, so many cups in Chicago with that great team. And, you know, there are other guys I feel just might be there. Devin Dubnik's another one. Amazing, you know, tendy. Yeah. For, for the Minnesota Wild, but he fell off. And it's just yeah. that right there at the end. Henrik Lundqvist is a Hall of Famer. Oh, easily. And he doesn't have to win a cup to get there. He just is. Yeah, and he's also in the Hare Hall of Fame. He's in the Handsome Hall of Fame. Yeah. Stoic. Harrison Ford-esque. Oh, what a man. But <laughs> Oh, what a man. But I still think when it comes to Pecorino, I don't necessarily believe he's a surefire Hall of Famer. If he gets it, I'm not surprised. If he doesn't get it, I'm not surprised. Kind of where I see that going. Yeah, but, this is my personal opinion. I think it will happen for him. Well, I hope it does. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I hope it does. I want everybody to make the Hall of Fame. But I mean, if I if I'm sitting on sixty four million dollars, I could give a rat's ass about the Hall of Fame. It's true. I'm sure he'll get a nice rank named after him in his hometown. Yeah, he'll, he'll you know, get some kind of accolade. He'll probably go into the finished, you know, the finished athlete Hall of Fame, all that good stuff. Do you think he starts coaching? That's a great question. Tendies generally they tend to stick in that realm as goaltender coaches. Um, I would love to see him be a goaltender coach. I'd love to see what he could, you know. Or even back in Finland, like if you were to move back to Finland. He could easily be a head coach at Finland. I'm, I'm talking about the NHL. I'd love to see him be a goaltending coach in the NHL. Well, yeah, he wouldn't be a head coach in the NHL, I don't think. But Maybe, you never know. But I think starting off as a goaltender coach and, you know, kind of working around there and seeing what he can teach to these young guys because the NHL is just getting bigger, faster, and stronger. Right. These guys have to have the lateral quickness of a cat now. Oh, yeah. I mean, like Jonas, like, that one game where he did the splits. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, your balls are touching the ice. Yeah, that's not comfortable. No, dude. I, it might tear something. Yeah, dude. Torn groins, pulled groins, busted out. You can like, watch it, Tendy, like, warm up the up and down, like, dropping the knees up and down. I'm, I'm just sitting there, I'm like, dude, my, my quads hurt just watching that. There's yeah. no, and you know how flexible you have to be? It is insane. They probably all do yoga, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I know, at least I know Elvis does. Yeah. I know Elvis and Jonas do a lot of yoga. I don't know if Bob did, though. I don't know. They'd be remiss not to do it. Why not be as flexible as you possibly could? Right. Like, when I played soccer, they, they made all the goalies take yoga classes. Yeah. Because they were like, yeah, dude, you have to be able to, like, bend completely backwards, and even more so in hockey. Yeah. Plus, you're wearing all those pads. No, absolutely. You know, we, we, we've talked a lot about how incredible the Nashville fan base is. It's an easy transition for us. Talk about the AFC South. We've talked a lot about the AFC North, and... I think we need to talk about the AFC South a little bit, and that includes the Tennessee Titans, whose home is in Nashville. Derrick Henry's an animal. I think Tannehill's going to have another great season. Is Derrick Henry the best running back in the NFL? Well. All factors included. Size, speed, production, all of it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. My heart wants to say Nick Chubb, but my head definitely is Derrick Henry 100%. Sure. No, I definitely understand that. I mean, when you watch Derrick Henry, I mean, what he threw. Oh, my God. It was at... Um, it's at Josh Norman. Yeah, Josh Norman. That's what he it was. He threw Josh Norman like a sack of potatoes. It, it was like the Marshawn Lynch, like, hold my dick video where he's like, you don't keep pussy. Like, throws the guy like 10 yards. Beast mode. Oh, my God. It was so funny. He beast moded him. And Josh Norman's just always running his mouth. So it, was so it was so nice to see him just finally get put on his back. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. They, uh... He's a, he's a monster down there, and they build a good offensive line around him. Tannehill's a great game manager. Tannehill, to me, is like the platinum card version 
of Mark Sanchez. He's exi- like, he can manage a game. He can when you when you I play. I was gonna say games. Craig Krenzel. Craig Krenzel played five NFL games. It doesn't matter. I'm talking like in college. Like he was that style of quarterback, like a game manager, tactician. He's not gonna he's not gonna be flashy. Run for 150 yards a game. Sure. He's not gonna drop you know 45 bombs in a game. He's just he's smart. Mm-hmm. And you know he, he he's as good as you need him to be. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, he's not the guy that's going to try and play hero ball and you know go do his own thing. He's like, all right, I I know what I have to do, and I'm just going to stick to that. Yeah. Well, he's a lucky man because when you know when referencing Tannehill, we can talk about AJ Brown, and we'll get to him in a second. You realize they have Julio Jones now, right? Oh, sh- yeah. I forgot about that. Not bad. Yeah. I mean, Julio Jones, I think, is definitely top ten all time receiver. He's a physical freak. Oh, he's wild. He can jump out of the gym. He's the reason Matt Ryan, not alone, but one of the reasons Matt Ryan won the 2016 NFL MVP. Matt, I'm sorry, but can we just say Matt Ryan sucks? I don't think Matt Ryan sucks. I think the Falcons suck. I think I think a big part of it's Matt Ryan. He also, you know, was a miraculous comeback away from being a Super Bowl champion and an MVP in the same year. I don't want to talk about it. I lost $800 on that Super Bowl. <laughs> R.I.P. and peace, this guy's bank account. Good Lord. Now, obviously, I'm looking at the receiving core here. They had some interesting guys. A.J. Brown, dude. Yeah, A.J. Brown's a stud. Monster. Mm-hmm. I mean, just physical freak. I in fantasy. That dude was consistently putting up at least 30 points. Physical freak. Plays every high ball perfectly. You know, he's just, he's so fun to watch. He gets open. He runs crisp, good routes. Yeah. It's it like, kind of like Keenan Allen. It's going to be fun to watch him, but bigger. It's going to be yeah. fun to watch him and... Metcalf over the next five to seven years. Yeah, Met, I mean Metcalf's just a freak. Mm-hmm. Metcalf is a freak. Um, I'm also looking at the rest of their receiving core. You know, it it's a lot of no name guys. It really is. You know, and I mean obviously this is preseason, so there's a bunch of no names on this list. But do you really need big names when you have AJ Brown and Julio Jones? No, I mean you've got. Uh, Two stud wide receivers. You've got Derrick Henry, and you've got a good a good quarterback. And a strong offensive line. Yeah, I mean you've got it. Like the pieces are there. Everything is set for mm-hmm. the offensive line. Saffold's a good guard. They have great guards. They have Saffold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they have que- uh, Questenberry's good guard, and then they have they have Taylor Lewan. You know Taylor Lewan's a beast. I mean Michigan can suck it, but defensively, meat chicken, meat chicken. Defensively, yeah, I forgot they signed Bud Dupree too. God, man. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, they got superstars. The Titans are looking kind of scary. Yeah, they could. I mean, if you're not picking them to win the division, I don't know who you'd be taking because the rest of it looks kind of kind of iffy. But yeah, you know, the, the Tennessee Titans are built built to win, and they're built to win now. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask was if the Titans don't make the AFC Championship this year or a Super Bowl appearance. Is Vrabel kind of on the hot seat? It's a great question. They, they made a nice run a couple years ago. Last year, they got bounced by the Ravens. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Vrabel succeed with them, but as a Jaguars fan, I hope he doesn't. Right. But if the Jags aren't in the conversation, then I have no problem supporting a Buckeye and right. seeing how far Vrabel can take him. I would say if they get knocked out in the first round again of, of, of the playoffs or they miss the playoffs entirely, then yes, the seat's getting hot. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think that falling short of an AFC Championship if you make a decent run in the playoffs is is grounds for firing him. Just yet, I don't, I don't think. I think that's overkill. I agree. Yeah, I, I think, agree. I think 
two to three years from now, if you don't make an AFC championship, then yes, you know, you might, you might be having some issues, Mm -hmm. but as it sits right now, I think he's still safe. I think he's safe too. I think he's safe. If you know, they win a couple, couple postseason games, he gets an AFC title game. Maybe they get knocked out by the Browns or the chiefs. You know, I, you know, we'll we'll see then. Cause I, yeah, it's still got a little bit more. As much as we're both fans of an AFC team and actually good old stack guy, Nate's a Steeler fan. So we're all AFC fans in, in here. Um, as much as we say that, we're not going to lie. The Chiefs are the class of the AFC. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everything goes through Kansas City. You'd be an idealistic moron to say otherwise. There are a lot of great teams in, in the AFC. Well, it took an injury to Pat Mahomes for the Browns to even have a hope and a prayer of winning that game and making it to a championship. And exactly. then fucking Chad Henney. But, yeah, I mean, that team, yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs are borderline unbeatable. When they're on their game, yeah, it's when it, Pat Mahomes is in his bag. It is like I, I just see some of the wildest stuff I've ever seen on a football field when that dude is really like you know in the zone, and he's throwing those balls sidearm forty yards downfield on the money, and you're like he's throwing the ball left handed, and he's a yeah. right handed quarterback. And like, he, oh, and you have a guy like Tyreek Hill and you know Michael Hardman, those guys, the cheetah. You could pretty much insanely fast. You could pretty much swap out any of their receivers except for Tyreek and put another guy in, and they're going to be ballers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It, no, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, I agree. I think the Titans are the class of the AFC South. I don't think anybody's arguing that. They're built to win, and they're built to yeah. win now. Um, we do have to go up to Indianapolis. They have a new quarterback. After Andrew Luck, you know, the shock and awe of Andrew Luck retiring at such a young age, they finally have what could be their franchise quarterback. It'll be interesting to see. They yeah, did Red a, Rocket Jr. coming in. They did a they did a year with Phillip Rivers. Not a bad move. I didn't hate that move for them. I, I thought like Philip Rivers. I thought he put up good numbers. I, I think Philip Rivers well. is a Hall of Famer. That's a separate conversation. Oh, yeah, easily. Separate conversation. But when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts, they went out and signed Carson Wentz. Yeah. So how do you feel about Carson Wentz? We can go back and forth on this, but I want to know your initial thoughts on you know Carson Wentz through his time in Philadelphia and how you think how you think you know he's going to you know pair back up with Frank Reich. Well, yeah, uh, Frank Reich was the OC at Philly when they won the Super Bowl. I mean, unfortunately, Carson Wentz had that what ACL. Thing. Yeah, he got tear of the ACL. Mm-hmm. And some big dick Nick Foles came in. Yeah, um, but yeah, Frank was the uh, the OC there, and he's the uh, head coach over in Indianapolis now. So I think we'll see some good things out of uh, Carson Wentz. I agree, and it'll be fun to watch him play like for a new team, and you know, kind I of see him revitalize his career for Philly. Yeah, I mean, I think Philly kind of rushed him out. Too. Well, I, I think they just, you know, they got their ring. Nick was their hero, and they're like, "Yeah, screw you, whatever. You're on. You're you're gone." Yeah, I mean, he never he never really rebounded from from not being the guy that got him to the Super Bowl, and then there was so much pressure because he did play in the Super Bowl, and in a sports town like Philly, that's going to cause a lot of problems. Well, now he's in Indianapolis, which. You know, outside Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning, you know, their best quarterback play was when they were in Baltimore. Yeah. So, you know, they, they've... That's Johnny Unitas? Yeah. They've, they've swung and missed on some quarterbacks over the years. They took Jeff George, number one overall. Didn't pan out. They've had other guys kind of filter in and out, but... They had Jacoby Brissett for a season or two yeah. also. Yep, they've had Jacoby Brissett, and they've had other guys, and it just, it just didn't pan out for them. So I think if you're a Colts fan, you have to be optimistic about Carson Wentz coming in because, you know, some guys, all they need is that second chance. Not to cross sports too much, but Josh Hamilton, the Reds traded him. Mm-hmm. He had drug problems, other issues. Cincinnati had him for one year. Sent him to, you know. Well, that's because he was in Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and they sent him to the Texas Rangers. And bam. Wins an AL MVP. Yeah. 
So I, I think it's kind of, you know, very, very similar in that regard. Um, you know, maybe that fresh start will really revitalize his career. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, def- definitely something to watch there, um, you know, to see how he progresses. And with that offense, too, they run the ball well. They play strong defense. Darius Leonard is a dog. Yeah. As a linebacker for them, um, you know, they have a strong defense. They have one last year. Pretty much how they made, you know, made playoffs there anyways. I mean, they're a solid team. And I th- even with Phillip Rivers, they, they were good. Um, it, the question really just becomes, is Carson Wentz better than Phillip Rivers? Yeah, well, is Carson Wentz at his age better than Philip Rivers at his age? I would venture to say no. You don't think so? No. I'm, I'm a Philip Rivers fan. Especially if you ever hear him mic'd up. Yeah, he doesn't swear. Oh, it's so funny. What do you say? That aggravates the stew out of me? Yeah. He doesn't He doesn't swear. He's very, very Christian. Yeah, doesn't he have like 47 kids? Uh, 69 kids. Nice. Yeah. See what you did? 420 kids? 420 kids. <laughs> yeah, he has... He, yeah, he has kids. nine kids. I mean, thanks... Stack guy Nate. Stack guy Nate's just over here talking about how, how we're lying. Not only does he do sports stats, he also can get you stats on how many kids any given athlete has. Yeah. Antonio Camardi? Uh, 47. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds right. That's actually right. I think he, I think Antonio Camardi, I think it's like, I think it's like 16 though, or something like that. That sounds right. He, he kept playing because, you know, his child support payments are out of He's like, dude, wear a rubber. Or pull out. Well, Jesus. The other <laughs> the other thing about Carson Wentz, you know, that kind of makes it interesting, a little juicy thing going into training camp. They drafted Sam Ellinger. Juicy. Oh. Out of out of out of Texas, and Sam Ellinger reminds me a lot of like a poor man's Tim Tebow, in a way. Yeah. Kind of the role he played. Kind of the role he played when he was there. Um, you know, at Texas, stayed there for four years. All he ever wanted to be was the Longhorns quarterback, and here he is now, the sixth round pick going in. You know, him, Jacob Eason. Yeah. So, I wouldn't say it's a quarterback battle, but it does make it a little spicy going into training camp. Yeah, I I definitely don't think that he's going to be the starter going in. No, I agree. But I think that if he does have a good, you know, preseason, he has a shot. And the thing that will really help Carson kind of adapt to not only AFC South life, but the Colts in general, is they have a strong... Strong running back core. Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, and Naheem Hines. Yeah. Everybody has all three of those guys in fantasy every year because in any given week, any of them can pop off. Jonathan Taylor is an absolute dog. My only concern with him is Wisconsin running backs tend to flame out early because they have so much wear and tear coming in, and he's not an overly big guy. But right now in his prime, I think Jonathan Taylor is a great running back and have compliments like Mack and Hines. Yeah. That really, really helps. You know, not only that that running back core and, you know, have balanced their offense out, but that'll really help Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have a really good running game as a quarterback, it takes a lot of pressure off of you at that position. It does. You don't, have to, you don't have to make every play yourself. They also have really good tight ends. You know, they have Jack Doyle, mm-hmm. who's really good. They have Mo Alley-Cox. Yep. Everybody remembers him from his NCAA tournament days at VCU. You know, kind of like a Jimmy Graham college basketball turned NFL tight end. Seems like yep. a seamless transition for power forwards that are too small. Maybe you don't want to play in Europe. You go try your hand in the NFL. Mo Ali Cox made a nice career out of it. Yeah. The receiving core is interesting. Um, you know, they have T.Y. Hilton, obviously. Had a little bit of a down year. Yeah, but, I mean, consistently he's pretty good. Exactly. You know, the pride of Florida Atlantic University. Um, Paris Campbell. you Go Bucks. Paris Campbell. Um, and then they have Michael Pittman, who they drafted uh, with the first pick in the second round last year out of USC. 
They have they have some guys there. You know, Zach Pascal's a pretty good receiver too. Yeah. I but, think I think they're about four or five years from actually really being contenders. You think it's that far? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to three to four. I still think that there's a couple pieces that they need. There's the question mark with Carson Wentz right now. We also need to see how good Sam Ellinger is going to be. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you can't win with a bad quarterback. No. You can win with a decent quarterback, but you can't win with a bad one. No, you can't. And so those those two guys, like, we really need to see what they're going to do and what they're about in Indianapolis before I really cast judgment on, like, how long I think it's going to be before they have actual Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. And it'll definitely be interesting to see how the offense develops. The defense is strong. They have DeForest Buckner. They have Taekwon Lewis. I also love that name, DeForest Buckner. It just sounds like he's going to come eat your lunch. Antoine Woods. They have some <laughs> really good defensive line. We obviously touched on Darius Leonard. He's a monster. Yeah. You know, when it, when it comes to linebacker core, the rest of the linebackers, they might be a little more obscure. Malik Jefferson's pretty good. But they have the supporting cast. Exactly. Linebackers, you know, those. I kind of view them like running backs. You know, they're a dime a dozen. You can get good cheap ones that are really productive. Yeah. And I think they have that in abundance. Um, they have a decent secondary. You know, I see TJ Carey. He's at Ohio University Bobcat. Shout out to my alma mater. Um, but, yeah, you look up and down. Rocky Asin was a high draft pick on a Temple. Very good player. Um, you know, a couple other guys on this list that I think are good. Ibrahim Campbell. He's been around the league. He's definitely very good as well. So, it'll be interesting to see. They have Xavier Rhodes now playing corner, too. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yep. So, it'll be it'll be cool. And, obviously, they have the kicker blanket chip that wears those nerdy-ass, you know, Rex specs when he goes out there oh, and kicks. yeah. Goggles looks like a total goober. Yeah, the kicker out of Georgia. Yeah, he looks like uh, Tech from Bad Batch. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the um, how the Colts go on this year. We'll talk about the last team we're going to discuss today, the AFC South. My team. We've talked a lot about Sky's beloved Browns. Woof woof. We have to talk about my beloved Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, God hates Jags. He does. There's a lot of really interesting. Things going on with Jacksonville. Starting with, they had the number one pick. Their quarterback is Trevor Lawrence. There's no questions about it. T-Law. Sunshine's going to come in there. I'm excited you know to see what he does. hates that nickname? Why wouldn't he? Why would you? It's one of the most beloved football movies of all time. He was a left-handed option quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is a monster. Who cares, though? It's not about what hand he throws with or what kind of offense he runs. It's about he looks just like the guy. Yeah. Ish. I think another big thing, just based out of Columbus, though, Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer. This is going to be a talking point all year for people that cover the NFL all over the place. What's really about how's his offense going to run down there? What do you think, or how do you think Urban Meyer is going to do in the National Football League as a whole? As much as it pains me to say, I think he's going to be around 500. I don't think he's going to be a stellar coach because I. Well, it really depends on what kind of offense he runs in the NFL. Mm-hmm. If he's bringing his Ohio State, like, I'm going to run my quarterback half to death, put him in the face of danger every other play, I don't think it's going to get you very far. Because the NFL is just, it's a, it's, it's a different ballgame. Mm-hmm. You know, college, you can get away with that, but the NFL is the best of the best. Mm-hmm. So think of, like, every player, like, the best guy from every team in college yeah. on a super team. That's what you're trying to run that college offense against. And I really don't think that if he runs that style of offense, he's going to get very far. So you think it would be like Chip Kelly with the Eagles? Like, yeah, it kind of exactly. culture shocked the NFL to start off. They made the You play- might catch a few teams off guard. Yeah, well, they, then the Eagles under Chip Kelly, they made the playoffs the first year, and then it went downhill from there. Right. That, and I think that's if, if that is the route Urban decides to go, I think 100% he's going to end up like Chip Kelly in the NFL. He's going to end up going back to college if he wants to keep coaching. 
I'm optimistic for Urban Meyer in the NFL because he has that mindset. But his mindset in college was getting kids 18 to 23 to buy into a system. How does he handle grown men? Right, and that's also the, the, the thing. Like at Ohio State, he, you know, he had that leadership program. You know, he was the director of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to convince an 18-year-old kid you know, who looks at you as like a father figure, looks up to you. It's easy to get their attention. It's easy to, like, you know, get them to, you know, kind of right the ship and go the path that, you, you know, you think is best. Mm-hmm. Grown men, these guys are set in their ways. They're millionaires. They can give a rat's ass what, you know, some coach is telling them they should and shouldn't do. Yeah. Well, it's different when you put – money, you know, tends to screw everything up. Exactly. And you're putting a lot of money in a lot of young people's hands. All these guys have fuck you money. They do, and you're putting a lot of money, an exorbitant amount of money, into a bunch of young men's hands, and then you have you have to get them to buy into your system. When you know, why do they have to listen to you? You have to command their respect, and that's why I think is going to be the biggest challenge for Urban in year one is commanding that respect from you know from his players and getting them to buy in. Because Urban's a great motivational speaker, yeah, and, he, and he's very intense and he's very serious. Um, as someone who's met him multiple times, you know, he's very everything's very calculated with Coach Meyer. So it'll be interesting to see how he translates that game from the college ranks to you know to the best league in the world, the National Football League. Right, and like I said, as much as I love Urban Meyer, I have to see a different offense out of him in the NFL before I'm you know sold on it. Sure. Uh, also, I'm, I've got some you know my boy Stat Guy Nate. Stat Guy Nate brought it up. Uh, Ian Rappaport just tweeted uh, recently that the Jaguars and Coach Urban Meyer were subpoenaed by the U.S. District Court for information related to Jacksonville's hiring of then. Or, and then the resignation of ex-Iowa strength coach uh, Chris Doyle in February. Well, Chris Doyle was a absolute piece of shit at, at Iowa. Right. And that just proves how unfireable Kirk Ferentz is because they didn't fire him over this. But he would say horrible, obscene, and racist things to players. And, yeah, I mean, Urban doesn't have the best track record with assistant coaches. doesn't look good on Urban either. So, because, you know, Florida and mm-hmm. what happened with Ohio State. I think the reason they signed Tim Tebow was a distraction from Urban and a distraction to make it easier on Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, well, I think they're trying to clean up Urban's image by reuniting him with Tim Tebow. That does help. I think it's a great yeah. PR move. Plus, it's you know it's a feel-good story. He was his coach in college. They won a national championship. And then now they're reunited in the NFL in his first coaching gig. So that's 100% what they're trying to do. It's, it's a PR move. They're trying, to, they're trying to clean up Urban's image in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I would be happy if Urban's first season with the Jacksonville Jaguars, if they went 7-10 and 10 or better, I would be thrilled. I think they have the potential to do it because they get two games against the Texans. I'd say you get eight. Eight would be great. They get two games against the Texans. I think those are free wins for everybody this year. Yeah, um, they're going to be historically bad, I think. Yeah, well, that is just a gong show that we're not going to get into. Yeah, uh, that. but yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be real bad. Yeah, no, I agree. They're going to be terrible. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, the AFC South is not easy. As I'm pulling up the schedule here, and, you know, they play multiple teams that made the playoffs last season. If I can pull this up. All right, so I have the schedule pulled up here. They start the season with the Texans. Love that. Want to know. Broncos, Cardinals, Bengals, Titans, Dolphins, Seahawks. And that takes you to Halloween. That's tough. Broncos is a toss-up to me. It's at home. It's in Indianapolis or it's in Denver? It's in Jacksonville. Or Oh, Jesus. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and then they have the Cardinals after that in Jacksonville. Then they go to Cincinnati on a Thursday night, short week. Yeah. We'll see how good they are. Then they have the Titans at home, okay. Dolphins at home, Seahawks on the road. 
That's a loss. That's a loss. That's a they could loss. be anything there from five and two to two and five. It'll just depend on how the ball drops. I mean, I think if you've got Trevor Lawrence, you've got a shot. I think he's one of the more NFL-ready quarterbacks coming out of college I've ever seen. I think he's – he reminds me a lot of when Andrew Luck came out. Yeah, I mean, and Andrew Luck hit the ground running. He did. They were really good. So, I think it'll just depend on how he adapts to the offense. Well, he's how, a super intelligent guy, so I, I don't think it'll be hard for him. No, and I think – pick it up quick. I, I think he's ready. I think he would have been ready last year, to be honest. Yeah, no, I think he just stayed that extra year just to try and win another natty. Well, he had to. He was a, last year was his third year. Oh, was it? Yep. You have to stay for three years. Oh, I'm thinking, I thought I thought it was fourth. No, it was his third year. Uh, okay. Eleanor stayed for four. He could have gone out of the draft early, but okay, he, he decided to okay. stay. Yeah. So, yeah. my uh, One point I do really love about my beloved Jaguars is that they are 3-0 all-time against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the postseason. All three wins are in Pittsburgh. Stack guy Nate's a little upset with us right now, but that's okay. That's all right. Because he kisses his cousin. Stay mad. So, speaking of the black and yellow, we got to talk about this insane game that happened in Cincinnati last Friday. Talking about a man down. The Columbus crew and FC Cincinnati played to a 2-2 draw, which on paper doesn't really mean a lot. The impressive part was, FC Cincinnati scored twice in the first 25 minutes, and then Harrison Offal got sent off in the 42nd minute. So they played man down, down 2-0. Zell Ryan scored... It was right before half, wasn't it? Right in the first minute of the stoppage time. Yeah. And then Miguel Berry scored on the 77th to tie it to. Yeah. At the brand new, gorgeous TQL Stadium. We talk about Lower.com Field. We talk about Lower.com Field being beautiful, but TQL Stadium down in Cincinnati is beautiful too. And, you know, the crew, apparently there were rumors out there. There's just rumors. Just what I've heard from beat writers. What have you heard? Crew fans were louder. Yeah, and I, did, FC I, I, the, did, the, I did hear that. The Bailey wasn't loud enough. Yeah, no, I did hear that. The crew fans, well, I went to a crew match in Cincinnati when it was at Nipper two years ago, where the home of UC football. Yeah. And all of the FC Cincinnati fans were chanting Austin, Texas, to which all of the crew fans retorted USL, uh. <laughs> joking about too bad there's no relegation because your ass would be in the USL. Yeah. Which is the second tier of American soccer. Yeah. So... That game was wild. They were down, like I said, 2-0, man down, came back and tied it at 2. The crew have underperformed this year a lot. Too many draws. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. But it's fun to watch them. You know, they never give up. They have that, you know, that, that hard-working mentality. Yassi's artist is just so much fun to watch, too. I was watching him play in the Gold Cup the other night, too. Yeah. It's just, he's, 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 he's just an animal. His dude. work rate is ridiculous. It, yeah, it seems like... like like in FIFA, you have that the you know health meter or whatever. Mm-hmm. He never even gets into the yellow. Mm-hmm. No, he's too good. No, he's way too good. Yeah, and another crazy stat when it comes to the Columbus crew this year: um, Zilleron and Zardes have combined for eighty percent of the team's goals. They need to find scoring from other ways. I know Diaz and Barry yeah. have scored, but they need to get more creative. Zilleron is incredible off of the free kick. Mm-hmm. Zardes is a quintessential MLS striker. Yeah. But they need to find more creative ways to get other guys involved. He's like a he's like a, a better, faster Josie Altador. Ooh, that's that's high praise. Josie Altador ended up, you know, traveling around playing for a lot of teams and Josie actually ended up playing uh for Sunderland in the Prem. So Yeah, well I think I think it's only a matter of time before Yossi is is asked to go over the Prems. You think so? Mm-hmm. I think he's good enough. 
Yeah, I'd like to see him on a championship side to see what he can do in England because it's a rough and double game. Right. But I agree. I think he's really good. He, he shows out for the USMNT too. Yeah. So that's what makes me think that he might have some pull, you know, across the pond. Yeah. No, I definitely think his game is conducive to you know succeeding over there. Um, we've had Americans go over there and succeed too, especially forwards. Clint Dempsey, obviously. Captain America, Christian Pulisic. <laughs> he's more. Yeah. He's fantastic. He's Captain America. He's a faster winger for. For Chelsea, I wish you didn't pick Chelsea. I hate Chelsea. But I know. I hate Chelsea as well. Yeah, they piss me off. But, you know, he's been great over there. Dempsey was great over there. You know, I definitely think there is room for him to move on if he wants to. I hope he stays forever. I hope he plays for the Columbus crew for as long as he decides to, you know, strap on the boots and strap on? Pause. But, yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to see where it goes, you know, in terms of Zardes' career. But I'm looking at the MLS standings right now, too. That's really impressive. Orlando City, man. They're not that old. No, that's uh, Stevie G's team, isn't it? I know Orlando SC, Orlando City SC has John Moutinho, who's a great player. And they also had Kaká, who, legendary Brazilian player, also, you know, was on those great AC Milan teams and bounced yeah. around you know Europe. He broke his back. How did he break his back? I, I think he, like, fell into a dry swimming pool. That's unfortunate. I, I remember reading this back, you know, a few years ago. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he like either fell into an open, like a dry swimming pool or fell around a pool, something to do with that. But he, yeah, he broke his back. Interesting. Yeah, I did he not. Was like 14 months. I did not know that he broke his back. I know they also have Nani too, and Nani's a Portugal legend. Nani was one of my favorites on that Man U team, and I let's get one thing straight. I hate Manchester United. Who but doesn't? Wayne Rooney, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Nani on that three prong front. I watched them all the time, even though I hated that team. I watched so much Man U soccer because those three together were just unbelievable. Yeah. No, they were. So the whole team. It's cool to see Orlando City, you know, making noise, challenging the New England Revolution uh, yeah. for for supremacy in the in the Eastern Conference there. But yeah, you know, I, I'm excited to see where the crew end up taking the season. Um, obviously, there's people that listen to this from all over the place. If you have an MLS team that you want us to talk about. Tweet us at small market INS, short for insecurities. Um, email us smallmarketinsecurities at gmail.com. We are more than happy to take requests. And if you have questions about anything, by all means, send them over to us. We're happy to answer them on the next podcast. Give you a quick shout out there. You know, not a problem at all. We're looking for some fan interaction. And, you know, we want to make this uh, as conversational as we possibly can. So, Sky, we have covered a plethora of topics today. Is there anything you have. anything you want to touch on before we uh, before we head out? Oh man, honestly, I'm not sure if there's anything like off the top of my head. Um, I mean, again, it's good to have Stack Guy Nate join the team. Yep, we are proud to have Stack Guy Nate here. Nate, Nate McBride, McBride, follow me at McBride. <laughs> shame, shame How us. many eyes does it have? That's at M A C B R I I I D E on Twitter. Shameless plug. Love it. <laughs> so, for Skyball, this is Phil Razor saying, small market insecurities. Remember, we pair well with booze. <laughs>